You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to Closing Night, a theater history podcast celebrating famous and forgotten Broadway shows that close too soon. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and in the previous episode, you learned about the 30-year journey of 9 to 5, from a movie, to a big hit song, to a TV show, and eventually a Broadway musical. Well, throughout this season and in between the main episodes, I'll take you further behind the scenes by sharing with you some of the interviews I've had with artists, creatives, and industry experts. And in this bonus interview episode, you'll hear from Lisa Howard, one of the ensemble members in 9 to 5 who played Franklin Hart's wife and was part of the show from its early days in Los Angeles until its closing night on Broadway. She gives us behind-the-scenes insights into the rehearsal process and some of the challenges this show faced just getting on stage and actually making it through a performance without stopping. But wait, there's more. (laughs) You'll also get an extra conversation about another musical Lisa did at the Marquee Theater, Escape to Margaritaville. Now, this musical went through four out-of-town tryouts in 2017 before finally coming to Broadway the following year. But Margaritaville and its Jimmy Buffett score met with mixed reviews and just lasted three and a half months on Broadway. So after the break, you'll hear my full conversation with Lisa about these two shows and what it was like to work with iconic singer-songwriters Dolly Parton and Jimmy Buffett. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, Lisa Howard. You're already laughing at me. I know. (laughs) It's so good to see you. It's so good to have you on my podcast. I thank you for being here. My pleasure. Now, you and I, we just got through, this was a a few months ago, we just got through with 42nd Street. And I mean, we we had a blast. And Now, we never actually got to share the stage together. We were never really in a scene. I don't think so. We crossed... Like ships in the night. Yes, yes. Backstage. But I mean, you had an absolute blast with that. I mean, you have a fun character with Maggie, who's just this no-nonsense, fun-loving gal. <laughs> so Right in shows. Right? It seems to fit your personality, that kind of character. And I think because Randy took the show in a more, I want to say, more grounded, real place, I definitely feel like that's a little more me. I mean, I can be the big waka walk out to the audience, you know, and there is a little bit of that just written into the character. But I really liked just playing her as as a real person, just kind of having that 
freedom to be natural and not have to feel the pressure of like being sticky, <laughs> you know, but, but I think it totally worked too. Cause a lot of productions of 42nd street are very, you know, over the top <laughs> in that way. Exactly. Well, that leads us into the first story that you wanted to talk about, which deals with nine to five. And you say that that rehearsal process was actually the most difficult of any show that you've ever done. And you say that the creatives were constantly disagreeing and you would scrap a whole day's work. You would start over. Now, this is a musical based upon a popular movie. And so it had a script. It had a story. What exactly was being worked on or had to be figured out? I mean, we were working with amazing people. Joe Mantello directed. Andy Blankenbuehler was the choreographer. We had amazing people in the show. But I think maybe it was stylistically wise. Uh, no one really knew. But we would do learn, take all day and learn a whole big group number. Andy would choreograph and everything. And then at the end of the day, Joe would come in and he'd be like, bing, 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 bing. and then it was scrap. And then we would literally start over. And Anne Harada was in this. And on numerous occasions, she was like, I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm quitting. Like she was about to quit so many times. Wow. <laughs> because it was just so frustrating for everyone. So like, I just think they just weren't agreeing on how it should look and how it should go, you know. And so, I mean, obviously, eventually they did. But it was, it was a constant do and redo. Which sounds like a workshop, really. But it was during the rehearsal process. This is what I'm saying. When we were in, um, it was that way when we were rehearsing for being at the Amundsen, which was our out-of-town run. I mean, during tech, they're doing lights. We're in the lobby changing stuff, rehearsing in the lobby. There was one time when they couldn't agree on this one number. And so we had a show. Couldn't do it. We went out, stood still and sang. Wait, wait. Eggy, eggy. Oh my God. Because they couldn't, they, we didn't know what to do. Wait, couldn't wait. So agree. during during the show, this happened? So you just yes, like previews. Oh my God. Stood out there and sang and then left. That is crazy. It's yeah. like instead of doing something, do nothing, stand there, sing, and get off the stage. Uh huh. For that particular number. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was challenging. I mean, we were having fun while we were doing it, but like, Eventually, we, everyone's, oh my God, you know. So finally come to Broadway, we, you know, more changes, more changes, we doing it. Then there was trouble with the, I think the lighting designers, they weren't liking what they were doing. They ended up hiring a new set of lighting designers. The, the LED screen in the back, that was a problem and way over budget. Well, yeah, because this was at a time where that wasn't as common as it is now. Oh, it was like one of the first. And yeah. we were all like, you know, this is cool, but it was, you know, expensive. So I think there were a lot of hurdles in that way. You know, the set itself had this big, ginormous hole in the middle of the stage that the desks would come up. You know, we had an accident during tech. Mark Kudish thought the crash pad was there, jumped. It wasn't. I mean, he could kill himself. He didn't. But, you know, and uh, Mark was like, well, I didn't die because I know how to fall. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's true. He rolled and lived, but he was all bruised. I mean, it was a lot. Yeah. But once the show was finally up, it was really fun. It's a great show, you know. Did that only start on Broadway or did you start to have fun even out of town? 
Oh, we had fun out of town too, except for the one number where we were like standing there. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I read in interviews that Dolly Parton, obviously, this was her first musical. And so she was kind of trying her hand at this. But at the same time, she said it was a wonderful experience for her. Was she a part of that day to day rehearsal process? She wasn't there every day, but she was there a lot. And th- I don't want to paint such a negative picture. It was fun. I mean, and we were working with Dolly Parton. Like it was, it was great, you know, but comparing rehearsal processes, that this process was the most difficult. It, you know, during tech, she would make us fudge and hand it and give us all like homemade fudge. And um, she would be backstage as we would come off. You know, you go to your gondola, you change into your robe and you go up to your dressing room and she'd be there giving everybody high fives. Great job, you know. I mean, I was like, Dolly Burton. Oh my gosh, how fun that must have been. Yeah, so it was great. And 9 to 5 is a movie that everybody knew. You know, like, it's fun. We had Alice and Janney, Stephanie Block, Megan Hilty, Mark Kudish. I mean, that's fantastic cast. Now, each of those people, they're known for their voices, strong voices, except probably Alice and Janney. You know, she's yep. from the TV world. So was that taken into consideration as they doled out songs and duets and working those numbers? I don't think any of the songs she had to sing were exceptionally difficult. No, like the big power ballad, of course, that went to Stephanie Block. And, um, you know, Megan had some really sweet songs. But Alison had her fair share of songs, but they weren't terribly rangy or anything like that, you know. And, and I think, you know, for being an, not really a singer, I think she did. I think she did a great job. With this particular production, since you were in the ensemble and there's obviously these big stars up front, was there that distinction or did it really feel like an, an ensemble, everyone working together? If I recall, I, I never felt, you know, I was in the lowly group or anything. It was <laughs> definitely a, a working together. Like I play, I was in the ensemble and I played Missy Hart, the boss's wife, you know, just a little bit part. So I had scenes with them. Uh, there was never that atmosphere of us, them, which some, I know I've heard some shows can be like that. But no, I don't, I don't remember ever feeling like that. Because by this point, you'd done Spelling Bee, you'd done South Pacific. In fact, you left South Pacific to come do 9 to 5, right? Mm-hmm. Was it a different process being uh, for 9 to 5, being an ensemble again, whereas in Spelling Bee, you felt like you were a bit more part of things? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was, you know, you always think, oh, in my first Broadway show, I'm, I'm going to be in the ensemble. I'll be second tree from the left or whatever. You know, having made my Broadway debut in a principal part, that was amazing. Um, and then going into South Pacific at Lincoln Center, it was such a prestigious production to be a part of. It wasn't like, well, now I can never do ensemble because I've been a lead, you know, because that's a thing. Once you get a certain number of credits, like you can't go back. But I wasn't at that place yet. It was my Broadway debut. So because I was the head nurse in South Pacific, and that's definitely an ensemble part. But, you know, it was such a prestigious show and, you know, we get to work at Lincoln Center and work with Bart Sure, and, you know, it was fine. <laughs> and then moving from that ensemble to the next ensemble, you know, it, did, it just made sense. It was a parallel move. It wasn't really stepping backwards, you know. What led to your decision to choose 9 to 5 over staying with South Pacific? For one, I wanted to work with Dolly Parton because that's cool. And two... When I was in South Pacific, 
when I was originally cast, I thought that my role was simply head nurse. That was my ensemble track, and that's great. Two weeks into rehearsal, stage management comes up to me, and they're like, oh, and by the way, um, you're going to be covering Bloody Mary. I laughed. I thought he was joking. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm serious. And I was like, agent, what's it I'm what? I'm, I had to cover Bloody Mary and I didn't want to go on. Hmm. Yeah. Because this doesn't scream Bloody Mary. I was like, I had to have dialect coaching. I was like, I'm going to offend someone. I mean, now it wasn't as woke a period as it is now, but even no, back but then, even then, I was, that like, was still like, wait a minute, that's not quite right. It's not quite right. Yeah. And this was, you know, back in 2008. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, I had rehearsals. I was ready. If need be, if the time had come. And the Did person you ever who, go on? Nope. nope. The person who replaced me, Liz McCartney, she looks just like me. She had to go on. Now, thank goodness. I was a second cover. Thank goodness. Um, no, I was like, oh, I got another show. Great. I'm out. Even though I would have loved to have stayed with South Pacific longer, but uh, you know, another show came along, another credit, work with Dolly Parton. I was like, this is a no-brainer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is no-brainer. Now, the reviews for 9 to 5 were were mixed, but not necessarily horrible. And of the ones that I read, they they would criticize some elements of this direction or set design, you know, whatever. And when I saw it, that was pretty much my experience. I could nitpick little things. But overall, I enjoyed the show. Mm-hmm. It's an enjoyable show because the music is great. The performances were great. Was there a sense that that enjoyment of the show was going to carry the day rather than these negative reviews? Totally. Well, we thought we have stars. We have a really fun show. We have a known entity in nine to five. It's, you know, like, you know, people know it and love it. And, you know, it was very disappointing. And plus, we're also in the ginormous theater of the Marriott Marquis, which is notoriously difficult to fill those seats anyway. You know, you start seeing those sales decline and knowing the producing team having been, I think, over on the set and lighting budget and, you know, ticket sales not being what they would have wanted. I think, you know, I think they pulled the plug. When did you find out? When did the cast find out that it was going to be closing? I think, you know, we opened in the spring and I think it was towards the end of the summer. So it lasted longer than some of my other shows. (laughs) (laughs) How did they present the closing? What was their reasoning behind it that they gave you? Oh, well, they don't give you a reason. You just get a company meeting and they tell you the show is closing. You don't get, there's no explanation. (laughs) No one sits you down and shows you the numbers and here's our nut, here's what we're pulling in, we've got to pay the investment. They don't tell you any of that, you know. You just sit and pray every week and you look at the numbers going down and you're like, (laughs) and then you get that meeting and everyone's like, oh man, you know. So was there a sense of seeing it coming or was it a surprise? Yes, I think people were seeing it coming, definitely. And so what was that closing night like? It's always bittersweet. I remember we had a party. We went someplace afterwards, <laughs> uh, you know, like you do. Um, but it was fun. You obviously, you always bond with a new cast and everyone, you know, you get to miss each other. And But that's that thing. Everyone, you always kind of have a foot out the door anyway, looking for that next 
<laughs> job. And so it was like, oh, sorry, guys. Oh, this was, you know, we hope it was going to last. But uh, c'est la vie. Escape to Margaritaville was a jukebox musical inspired by the songs of Jimmy Buffett, known for his laid-back island lifestyle. It opened March 15, 2018 at the Marquee Theater and only lasted until July 1st of that year, closing after 124 performances. The story is set on a fictional Caribbean island and follows Tully Mars, who is played by Paul Alexander Nolan. He is the charming and carefree bartender and singer at the Margaritaville Bar. And everything changes with the arrival of Rachel, played by Allison Luff, who is a career-oriented woman vacationing with her friends. Now, one of Rachel's friends, Tammy, is played by Lisa, and she adds plenty of comedic and dramatic moments to the story, and a voice to match, of course. And honestly, Lisa thought Escape to Margaritaville was going to be her golden ticket. It had Jimmy Buffett music, a built-in audience, a fun story, and a rather lengthy run leading up to Broadway. It started at La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego, then it went to New Orleans, Houston, and finally Chicago. And the show kept evolving and changing through each of those cities. Yeah, definitely. You know, little tweaks here and there, new jokes, new this, you know. It was a fun, silly show with music, you know, and great choreography, you know, fun costumes. You're on an island and the the volcano erupts. I mean, it's just fun. Now, they had to make up the story. It's not like 9 to 5 where they had an existing. They had to make up a story around his music. Did that story continue to change or did it stay kind of set? It definitely continued to change, like through the workshops, through the out-of-town runs. You know, we had these characters who were like island zombies, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And those definitely morphed over the time. They're like, what is this? Who are they? You know, sometimes songs were replaced or, you know, like you do in a rehearsal. But it was a really fun show. Just fun and funny because our writers also were TV writers, too. And so I, I thought the comedy was hilarious. It was just a lot of fun. You know, you thinking that is a built in audience of years and years of fandom for Jimmy Buffett music. Now, it wasn't the story of Jimmy Buffett. They took his songs and made a show like Mamma Mia, how they right. took Abba songs, made a story about it. You know, let's be real. Mamma Mia, fun show. Is it a great show? No offense to anyone who wrote it or was in it, but it's fun. And everybody exactly. loves the music. It is fun. It's silly. There's a romance story. And you sing. everybody sings at the end in fun costumes, right? And was that kind of the template, thinking this is another Mamma Mia in that vein? Right. And, and the, I mean, the writers weren't thinking that. It was its own thing. But, you know, in my mind, it certainly is in that category. And I personally thought it's a better actual show than Mamma Mia. So I was like, this is great. I'm going to ride this one, ride it on out. I mean, they're going to have to kick me out of this sucker, right? You know, this is what I'm thinking. You know, I was like, I got my own dressing room. I'm here at the Marquis again. It's at the Marriott Marquis. I should have been wary. Because <laughs> uh, we obviously closed much sooner than I had anticipated. And I, I think it was 
your first year in a show, success is based on the New York audience. And then the tourists pick it up once they've heard about it and heard good reviews. And then that's, you know, your second year and beyond tour is really. And the New York audiences were not about it. They were like, in any on tour, it did great. You know, I just don't think the New York audience was in love with that. And they, I think they went in kind of like not ready to not like it, you know? Well, it wasn't just Jimmy Buffett music. I was reading, it's a, it's a list of songwriters and other songs that were included. Do you think that that helped, you know, bolster Jimmy Buffett's music or distracted from it? You know, I don't know. It was mostly his and maybe he co collaborated with somebody on a certain song, but it was, you know, like that was the feel of the show. That island vibe is five o'clock somewhere, you know. You got a beach ball. Beach balls dropped from the ceiling at the end. Come on. That's fun. I mean, that reminds me of SpongeBob. They, they had beach balls too. So maybe that's a clue. Like if your show involves beach balls, think twice. Maybe. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe a clue. that's it. But you say you had a fun time, and I've certainly had that too, where it can sometimes be funner on stage for the cast than it can be for the audience watching it. Do you think that that's what happened? Or, or Maybe. Maybe. You had to know what it was. Like, am I saying this was a great piece of theater? No. It was escapism, literally. Exactly. And so if you go into it with an eye of, I want to be moved well, you're not going to enjoy yourself. Go get a margarita and come and laugh and see great dance, dancing and costumes and funny jokes and stuff like that. I just think, you know, sometimes it's at the wrong time for the audiences. Like, I bet if it had come after the pandemic, it might have done better because people are just like, I just need to escape, you know? Something. Give me something. Yeah. Right. Well, it reminds me a lot of like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. It's just one fun song after another. It's not meant to change the world. It's not meant to, it's, it's just fun, silly songs done in a kind of tongue in cheek way. Yeah. You know, and you're like, do you know your Bible history? Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, I mean, kind of. I mean, sort of. Kind of, right. <laughs> yeah. You recognize some names and maybe some stories, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just think it was the wrong timing. And we were all just like, what? I don't, I, I don't, I don't get it, you know? So comparing Margaritaville, that rehearsal process out of town to nine to five, you, you would say that you enjoyed Margaritaville, that process a lot more? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was totally fun. Now, even though it was still changing, what do you think was the difference between the two? Oh, probably just the energies in the room. It's just whoever's the mix of people, I think. You know, because it's always hard doing a new show because it's always changing. Yeah, like when you're in previews and stuff and the writers come to you, you know, and you've got four new joke lines and a set of new lyrics and you got to do them that night. I mean, that's never easy. You know, for me, it's much easier to put in a new line than it is to put in a new lyric. If I get a new lyric, my brain wants to explode. It terrifies me. But a new line, I'm, I don't know why. But my, I'm like, okay, great, got it. You know, I don't know. Um, but it's a different way of processing. You just kind of have to go with your gut. Because sometimes when you're in a long run or something that's already established, 
And people say, know the lines or know the material. It's a lot of different feeling, you know, when you're in a show and it's something that's already set and established and you're going in and doing it as compared to like, you're literally creating this now. It's a new thing and you're just kind of going for it. But that's exactly what you did with Spelling Bee. That was very new and, you know, changing all the time. But that came more from you rather than these creatives giving you things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, the creatives too. But I have to say I am very blessed, very lucky to been in five out of my six Broadway credits are new shows. Mm. I've only had to go in and replace once. And that was in um, Priscilla. You know, so that's just go in and learn. Here's the choreography. <laughs> here's <laughs> here's your song. Go for it. It's really such a different experience when you are putting up a show for the first time. Yeah. Now you mentioned those New York audiences and kind of turned their nose up at it. Was that a surprise based upon your reaction audiences out of town? Totally. We got great reviews, and of course, there's some mix in there too. But for the most part. It was a hit. People liked it. It was fun, silly, great music, beach balls, margaritas. <laughs> so when it comes to the closing of Margaritaville, did it kind of seem inevitable once the reviews came out, once audiences weren't really taking to it? Did it yeah. And the writing was on the wall. Yeah. You know, we're like, come on, Jimmy Buffett, can't you just float us for a while? I mean, you know, he just... <laughs> He probably has the money to do it, but of course he's not going to do that, you know. But yeah, of course, especially when you've been in the business as long as I have, and you're like, oh, here it comes. You could just see it. Was Jimmy Buffett a part of that process? Was he more involved? A lot. Yeah, he was there. He was there a lot. I mean, he wasn't there daily in the rehearsal room, but he was there a lot. And sometimes um, he would come and do the bows and finale with us. He'd come out and sing a song and we'd all sing with him. And it was a lot of fun. We got to hang out and go out, and, you know, really get to know him and his band. And he invited us when they go play at Jones Beach. And they, oh, every year it's a huge concert. We came and sang on stage with him. And it was awesome, you know, like, so we really got to know him and his crew. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. And Boyd is, he's a smart businessman, right? Right, right. He's not just creative. He also has the business smarts. Yeah. Yep. And for this closing night, it actually wasn't your last time to perform it, right? A few days later, you got to do something in Washington, D.C.? Yeah. We had already been booked, I guess. We got to do the 4th of July celebration in front of the Capitol. So that was really way to go out with a bang, you know? Right, right. So you had your closing night on the 1st, I believe. And then the 4th came and you was like, well, this is actually closing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we just did a couple of numbers, but yeah, that was our really the way out. So that was kind of fun. Did the whole cast come back for that? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a couple of days later. So we were like, sure. Yeah. Why not? Why not? I could use the money. <laughs> now, for this closing night, was it just as enjoyable? You know, obviously bittersweet again. Yeah. You know, especially when you're like, I'm not going to see these people every day again. You know, you make the best of it. And we, we had kind of all felt it coming for a little while. So, you know, you're, you're geared up, you're ready to say your goodbyes. And plus, we knew we were going to see each other in Washington <laughs> and get to do, you know, get to do it again. So, yeah, we still have a text thread that people say happy birthday to everybody. People share stories. Oh, someone got engaged. You know, like we have a text thread 
and How that fun. we still keep in contact with everybody. We still have one for my spelling bee fam too. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And texting was relatively new back then. Yeah. So <laughs> we've all kept in touch and like Dan Fogler sent us the most hilarious like New Year's or was it New Year's or Christmas? It, 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 a video just a bit. <laughs> Just being goofy, you know, just sent it to everybody. Um, so there's a lot of connection in that way. You know, you get really close when you spend that much time. And you know, you get really close and then you're like, okay, bye. It's not like people who have a regular job and they're at that job for 10 years and they see the same people, you know, like you're at a job, you're lucky if it's months. If it's years, whoa, you're really lucky. You know, so it's just a different thing. People come in and out of your life and there's just a handful that you really still keep in touch with. Well, this has been wonderful to talk to you. I love just talking to you and laughing with you. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. This was very fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this bonus interview with Lisa Howard. There will be plenty more of these bonus episodes throughout the season. And be sure to follow this podcast on Instagram at Closing Night Podcast, all one word. You'll get pictures, histories, and more behind-the-scenes content all about these musicals at the Marquee. As always, thank you to my producer and editor, Dan Delgado, as well as co-producer, Maria Clara Ribeiro. Join us next time as we explore the very first Broadway revival of Evita and its journey to Closing Night. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.